Welcome to the Carl Reader Show. Hello and welcome to the Carl Reader Show, where today I'm delighted to be joined by Alex Hall. Now, Alex has um, had quite a corporate background, which he'll share with us, but has also, very interestingly for the Be Your Own Boss show, has just become his own boss um, in the space of two weeks ago. So, Alex, why are you here and not working on your business? (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's a great question. Um, I'm here because I like to have interesting conversations. Fantastic. So, um, hopefully that comes out of this. I'm sure it will. So, Alex, tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay, so I... I've always worked on the client side for brands and always wanted to work for brands that I love. So when I was, uh, I'm from Manchester originally, as you can probably tell by my accent, um, though I've lived down south since I was about 18, uh, I went to Portsmouth University. And at Portsmouth University, I did an internship at Microsoft uh, in the Xbox department. So uh, working in channel marketing and trade marketing for video games. Loved that. Went back to uni, finished my degree, came back to Microsoft, went to Microsoft for a few years in, in channel marketing and product marketing on Xbox, moved to Samsung for, an, I'll, I'll call it an ill-fated nine months. Okay, it happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and But had to get the next step right. Sure. Um, you know, if, if you're there, you need to be there for three weeks or yes. you know, 18 months, two years. And, and that wasn't the case. So I had to wait to make the right move. I went from there to Nike. And I worked for the Converse brand for Nike. Fantastic. Responsible for how Converse show up at retail mm. uh, across the UK, so channel and trade marketing. Which um, is um, which is an interest, very interesting brand from a from a brand perspective. Hundred percent. I mean, just to digress slightly, so Converse and the Chuck Taylor sneaker, the one they're most mm. famous for. If you picture Converse, you picture yep. that sneaker. That's a fifty to sixty pound sneaker. Uh, with a brand attached to it yes, that people identify with and have an emotional connection to. the um, You could buy a sneaker that looks like a Chuck Taylor for £10 down yes. the market or Salford market, where I'm from, and yet people choose to still buy Chuck Taylor. Yes. And so from an emotional brand standpoint, that's a huge... Uh, achievement, and this is where my like. this is where my trainer geek kicks in. They then have their collaborations, which then doubles it again, and yeah. it's it's unreal, oh, isn't it? Yeah, d- don't get me started. We'll compare sneakers later. I noticed yours when we walked yeah. in, but um, but yeah, I absolutely collaborations. We could talk about collaborations later because it's a super interesting yes. thing for, for me from a brand perspective. Um, kind of piggybacking other people's brand equity mm. um, and reaching new audiences through collaboration is a super interesting topic. Um, so yeah, worked, that was great. Um, worked with some great people at, at Nike and Converse, um, very passionate and it's a it, great company to work for. I couldn't recommend it enough. Um, then Microsoft opened a game studio in the center of London, okay, um, which is unusual for them. Sure. And they offered me a global role to, to go to that studio and help um, work on some of the video games they were making at that time, mobile games, but also working on some next generation tech, which they were developing as kind of um, a skunk works inside of the studio. Sure. So there was a little bit of video games marketing, but then there was what I found more interesting was working in a team of about five where you'd have like a coder, a hardware product designer, a, um, pr- a program director reporting to a CVP, working on next generation tech such as uh, Internet of Things, 
and uh, augmented reality. And my job as the marketeer amongst those was to position this technology so it could be easily understood by a customer or, or a consumer and actually then pitch it internally at Microsoft to get funding for that got stuff. It, got it. So quite early stage stuff. Um, um, but, that, but actually a marketer within the business to market internally yeah, rather than absolutely. fantastic. We'd go to Redmond and we'd have to pitch to even more senior people. Um, the CVP I reported to is a guy called Phil Harrison and he just went to Google about 18 months ago to set up the Stadia sure. video game. So he's he's all over the news at the moment, Phil. And um, I had a I had a great time doing that. And some of the stuff that we've just worked on or that we sorry used to work on has just started to surface now through Microsoft research out in Cambridge. So that's that was really interesting for me. Um, and then from there, uh, as as that that project project kind of accelerated and was moved out of the studio, um, I didn't have a ton going on there sure. at Microsoft. So I then took a role as uh, essentially country marketing manager for GoPro. Okay. Um, so I worked for GoPro for the best part of three years, and um, fantastic company. Obviously, a consumer electronics company, kind of, but kind of a lifestyle yes. brand. Yes. Yep. Uh, or a social media brand, you could argue it's a mixture mm. of those. Um, that was brilliant. And again, very passionate people. People are super into their action sports. A very expressive and emotive company. Um, and then I, I applied for and got a role with a company called Muckoff, which is a, and some people listening will probably have heard of them and some yeah. not, uh, a bike maintenance slash lifestyle brand who actually sponsor a lot of the similar athletes that I worked with at GoPro. And so I kind of knew them through that. Sure. Um, went to be global marketing director with them. And that's a great company and, and accelerating very quickly. And Alex, the owner, was my boss. And, and he's a very passionate and very talented guy. What I found, and this is maybe where the conversation goes, I don't, it's up to you, Carl, but um, I found the last couple of roles that I've worked in, maybe me only using 15 to, say, 30% of what, of what I'm passionate about. Sure. Me only really spending that amount of time on what I'm passionate about and the rest being part of working for a big company, yes, which is yep. the necessities. Um, and so a few things happened in my personal life which were not so great some things that did happen that were great was that my wife's pregnant and she'll she's due with our first kid in september congratulations thank you and so all of those things came to me and and i kind of came to a realization over the last six months that at some point i'm gonna have to um, make a decision that defines the rest of my life you could argue every decision that you move you know you move from one company to the next might define it but stepping out of the corporate world and into your own company, mm. being your own boss, um, was something that I hadn't done before, always talked about doing. My parents both owned their own companies, both sets of grandparents, both sets of aunties and uncles. Like my whole family generations above me, all self-employed. Sure. Everyone at my level, all employed by a bigger business. Yes. Now is the time. Wow, so you made, you made the jump. Um, so yep. you had the, the burning desire to do it, but it was a desire for some time. Absolutely. What, what, yeah. what was it? Yeah. What What was the um, the fire underneath you that made you do it? Um, I guess twofold. One is to be your own boss in the sense of what you put in is hopefully what you get out, and you're responsible for your success yes. and the success of your business, as opposed to being a cog in a wheel. Yeah. Um, albeit some great brands with with um you know with great customers and you know look great on a CV. The other side of that is is the brand side of stuff, and the reason that I wanted to start this particular business that I'm doing now is because all I ever really want to talk about are brands. Yes. I am a total and self-confessed brand snob. I love brands. I can talk about them forever. 
all different brands, not just fashion, but across the full gamut. And that is where I've honed my skills the most across these brands that I've worked for. I feel that's, if, of anything that I have to give a value to anyone, it's that. Sure. So that 30% that I was using, I need to amplify that to be as much a percentage of my professional life as possible. Got in it. In order to offer the most value. Got it. So that was the impetus, really. Fantastic. So it's something that's been in your mind for a long time. You've Absolutely. done it. And I, I can't overstate the fact that it is two weeks ago. So this <laughs> is really raw. Yeah. And for anyone listening who's perhaps what we would call a entrepreneur, you know, um, that's, that's the saying I tend to use where... They, they have this great idea or they know they're going to do it at some point but never do. Um, this will be really relevant for them. What was day one like when you when you decided, right, this is it? So it was funny because I, um, <laughs> I guess, like if someone from Mockoff's listening, this is kind of an interesting story to them. But, but kind of what happened was I confessed to my boss that I wasn't spending enough time doing what I wanted to sure. do. And I kind of pitched to him that... I could that I was sure that I needed to leave the current role, but that I could consult back to the business on, on an agency stuff. basis. That's right. Got it. Because um, that was the value I was giving the most, and and the, that was the value that the business was most receptive to from what sure. I was doing. Um, they made a decision not to do that, not okay. to go ahead with that, um, and kind of wipe the slate clean for the good of the team internally and for, I think, industrial perception of someone leaving that sort of a senior role. I was on the board, sure, that sure. kind of thing. So I understood that completely. Yes. Um, but what that then meant was I was in a position of basically going straight into what at the time was still a week's notice mm. because I was mm. still in a six-month probationary period. Okay. And... It happened much quicker than I expected it. Yes. Because I expected a transition period because they might ask for two months and I would have done that sure. out, of, out, of, um, uh, you know, out of duty to mm. them. But it was almost redundancy without the redundancy. Kind of, yeah. And that's because they wanted to wipe the state clean and get cracking. And yes. I totally appreciate that. No qualms at all. They said I might still, they might still want me at some point in the future. We'll see if that happens. But um, it happened very quickly. Sure. So then within a week of that, I went to Glastonbury okay, <laughs> and came back from Glastonbury and the Tuesday I was back, that was the first day. And you sit there and you think, well, I've not got a Mac because I've just given that back. I don't have a PC of my own. Yeah, I mean, this, this, <laughs> this is what is I was going to ask. So, you sat um, in a room. So did you prepare yourself financially and um, perhaps more importantly, emotionally for this eventuality? Uh, honestly, No. I would say not. I the the need became so urgent for me to do this mm. that as long as I wasn't going to be on the street in six months, which luckily I wasn't going yes. to be financially, then I felt I I just need to do it. I think and I I think people could argue and I could look back at this in six months' time and say it's the most reckless decision of your life with a kid on the way, sure, <laughs> and and not having lined all these things up. But I needed to step back from what I was doing. I felt quite immediately, um, and it was just the most urgent I'd felt this need to set up a company and I was yes. like if I'm not going to do it now and by the time the kids go into nursery or school there's additional financial burdens that I have to consider there but also do you know I think it's very similar to what they say about kids which is there's no right time mm. yeah, you can always find a reason not to yeah well, of course yeah principally money I think. yeah but th that was it it just felt that's the most urgent I'd felt it um, I believe in what I can offer with regards to brand and, and consultation on those on those kind of things. So 
why not? I, I didn't want to work harder for more money and in five years' time look back and still essentially just be working harder for more money in the same rough position, probably seeing my kid a little less, seeing my wife a little yes. less as you work harder for more money. And this is a cycle that I could see myself getting into quite clearly. I've frankly been in it a little while, enjoyed the journey, um, but it's time to get off that particular lazy river now and, and get into Fantastic. doing Fantastic. So how have the first two weeks been for you? Really energising. Um, I, ca- I can't recommend enough taking time away from the day-to-day, let's call it grind of of Mm. standard work to consider you, yourself, your professional future, your personal future. Usually when you take time away from work, it's to go on holiday. Yes. Or it's gardening leave if you're lucky. Yeah. To say, right, now I am not earning any money right now. To then sit there and think that and consider that and really mull that over and then figure out a plan of where to start is scary yes exciting but so energizing i've had really great conversations with people that i know kind of personally through my network and through the previous brands that i've worked for started tentatively telling people that i'm doing this i've not even put a post on linkedin yet sure i've changed my employer for obvious reasons but um the suppose the grand launch and it won't be grand it'll be a post on linkedin and an email to everyone i know is um hasn't happened yet I wanted to get my website ready, yes. so I've been working on that, and that is live now, though definitely a work in progress, I guess, our websites are. Sure. Um, that was a principal one. I've got a graphic designer that I know who's great working on logo and, and a bit of identity for myself, um, as a, a being my own brand, if you like. Yes. Um, and those those are the first things, um, the first forays is, is spending time doing that, and then lining up meetings for today and tomorrow in London. I'm back in London next Tuesday for more meetings, so seeing the opportunity um wondering if i'm going to take it is a super energizing position for me to be in so yes i'm not earning because i'm two weeks in no but, but i'm loving it do you know what alex you, you also need to ask yourself what's the worst that can happen well exactly yeah i mean what's the worst that could happen i, I get you another might have to job, put some in six job applications now. in absolutely yeah and, and I'd, I'd hope that I'd, I'd have the the experience and cv to support uh, to be a strong applicant absolutely. To, to the right positions so that you know we are not going to lose the house no and no. i think that's a, a scary thing for a lot of people to think about when they set up their own businesses what's the worst that could happen and i think people picture themselves destitute yes but i don't think that that really happens no. if if you've got the the drive to set your own business up in the first place then i think you've got the drive to earn money to hustle mm. if you need to hustle yeah um, and if it comes down to it going out car washing or do what, yeah, yeah do do whatever yeah. go and be a, a waiter at the local restaurant if it's not going to work but you hear people doing you know of these stories of people who became great actors or people who became great entrepreneurs there's a, a list as long as you like of entrepreneurs who started doing their own thing whilst working in a menial yes. job um to get the money to survive to continue pursuing their dream fantastic so um alex i've grilled you enough on your new business now <laughs> and we will have an opportunity to talk more about your business at the end of course um but what i'd like to do now is to dive into brands yep okay because that's clearly your passion yep. um what, what what is a brand to you a brand it's a great question I, there's a load of ways to answer it for me it is a symbol of what something or someone stands for. Um, Hopefully, it's a symbol of truth and purpose. Mm. Some brands have that and some don't. Sure. But the best ones do. 
So I would suggest that, yeah, it's a symbol of what like a product or a person or a company stands for. Fantastic. And looking at your history, you know, um, I, I think it's safe to say that most of the brands you've worked with, Microsoft to some extent not, However, I'm going to focus. You were focused on Xbox. Is That's that right, correct? For the majority so of the time, Xbox yeah. is actually quite a cool consumer product. Yeah. Um, the rest are all cool, edgy consumer products. Yeah. Well, what's the secret sauce behind making a consumer product fly? I believe emotional connection. Mm. So, does the brand signify something or symbolize something that you see in yourself? that you maybe want to amplify in yourself sure. or play up a certain part of your personality. And you believe that by connecting with that product or brand, um, you're mirroring that brand personality. So I, I'm wearing Chuck Taylors right now. Sure. Chuck Taylors stand for, in, in various guises, alternative thinking, art, music, punk, yeah. all these kinds of things. And for me, when I when I pull those on, there's a admittedly a small element, but there's an element of, of knowing that. Sure. And and that that somehow portrays to myself um, and potentially to other people that that is my personality and that's that's where mm. I position myself and in, in, in my life. So I, I think it's it's much more about emotional connection. Does this product or brand stand for? Um, what I stand for. Got it. And it, it explains, you know, if we can look at BMWs or um, BMWs or Mercedes or Volvos, you know, yeah. they've all got their own brand placement. That's right. Um, I'm sure they're all equally good cars as well. Yeah, I'm sure, yeah. yeah. I'm sure they are. I'm a big fan of all three. I, to be honest, I love Volvo at the moment. I think their design aesthetic is going in a really interesting direction. Scandi minimalism is everywhere at the moment anyway, so they've applied it to their design uh, aesthetic playing on the safety but dialed that back a bit I think um, I think all three of those are great great mm. brands and I think Volvo used to be seen as kind of a boring brand but I, I think they're doing a it's great it's changing it's, cha yeah. it's it's interesting to see brands evolve as well mm -hmm. um, so earlier in the studio I was speaking to Kodak and it's been phenomenal to hear their journey yeah. um, from you know let's say five years ago when it was perceived to be quite a dying brand mm -hmm. and actually it's re-energised energetic and so on um, and one of the things that Kodak were talking about was collaborations and you touched on collaborations mm -hmm. earlier what's your views on collaborations i interestingly to talk about kodak actually kodak did a collaboration with a skateboard brand i don't know if your previous um uh, guest um mentioned that but there's a skateboard brand and i'm i might get this wrong apologies i think it's girl skateboards they're okay called. i did a collaboration with kodak and i'd actually found this because funnily enough talking about kodak I sometimes sit around and think about brands that were just great brands and yes. sometimes you see them as heritage brands. Yes, yeah. And I thought, oh, Kodak, that's really interesting. I wonder if I can find a T-shirt with Kodak on it. I wonder if I could find something that says that because it's just, it looks great. The logo's great. Um, and I'll come on to why I, th I think they're a great brand in a second. And I just thought aesthetically that'd be great. Googled it and, and right now <laughs> is this uh, Girl Skateboards collaboration with Kodak and it looks sick. And they're using all the right gold and reds. Yep. Um, and I was, I, yeah, I ended up buying into some of that stuff because it, it was great and I like skate brands anyway. Um, and what Kodak did with that, and I don't know who approached who, I imagine Girl approached Kodak, was they became a brand that's relevant to a different audience, maybe an audience that had never owned anything by mm. Kodak, never mm. owned a camera or physical film or ever used physical film. So, so what does Kodak mean to them? And by 
using the brand equity of a different brand, Girl Skateboards has been an example, and I'm sure your previous guest talked about other more relevant examples than skatewear, but at least they're then in front of an audience that they weren't in front of before. And this is really interesting, certainly what I'm seeing in the branding world is a number of these collaborations, Mm -hmm. which, um, you're right, it it rides off the back of um, both brands' equity, Mm -hmm. and and hopefully is a win-win. What should brands look out for when they're doing this? What should brands look out for? I think truth. So Kodak are a great brand because they were always authentic. Sure. They lived and died by that, Mm. that authenticity, but that authenticity never went away. I never felt like Kodak were running after the quick book left and right. They kind of stuck with it. Ultimately, the industry went in a different direction. But I don't think they ever let let their authenticity be affected by that, which is meant that they've stood the test of time and long term, it starts to come back. Mm. So there has to be a depth to the brands that you work with. I think if it's if the brand is too hot at that moment, what could it can often be seen as a way to just piggyback on success and have one brand drag the other up. Usually what I see in collaborations is one brand is a big brand, one brand, brand is a small brand. The small brand is the hot and up and coming brand at the moment. And the big brand wants a little bit of relevancy. Yes. So the, the benefit for the small brand is the distribution or the awareness that comes with the big brand. The benefit for the big brand is the coolness Bring, and cultural relevance that the small brand brings. So Palace Skateboards yes, yep. did a collaboration with Polo, Ralph Lauren, yep. which was amazing. And similar, Lou, Louis Vuitton and Supreme. Louis Vuitton and Supreme and Virgil Abloh now being... And Virgil Abloh stamps his name on anything. Just he does, yeah, and his him. off-white brand. And, but he, and got, he got me buying an Evian water bottle. Well, good good for him <laughs> and well done you, but they, they create, he's a creative director of Louis Vuitton now. Yes. And and he built a lot of his business on the back of collaboration. His, his personal brand, Off-White, uh, collaborates with Nike all the time. Yep. And you can see tiny brand relatively in off-white, massive brand in Nike, and mutual benefits going everywhere, but ultimately still great depth to those brands. Neither one are just hot for a week and gone. Mm. Um, they are standing the test of time, and it shows with off-white and now where Virgil is. It sure. So, so I'm going to bring this down to reality now, because we all know these collaborations of major names. Yeah. For the average small business, is a collaboration a thing for them? Yeah, I, I would say so, because you can collaborate with brands, but you can collaborate with people. Mm. You can collaborate with with places. You can collaborate with teams. So um, let's use an example of a baker. Sure. Right? Basic baker on the high street. They hopefully are proud of their product and what they do. So then if you look around, what else is relevant to, to that world? Okay, so flour is relevant to sure. that world. There's some great flour brands. I know this is much more boring than Louis Vuitton. But if you were to collaborate with a flour brand, do an incredible window display of a brand that actually people are more likely to recognize than your own one store, yes. let's say Alison Flour or McDougal's Flour. Yep. I make my own pizza, so I'm using I'm dropping <laughs> names of flour brands. But um do, do a collaboration with them. Why not have them feature your bakery? You make great bread with this flower on their website, on their Insta channels. These collaborations do not need to be product-led collaborations. Sure. They can be branding collaborations for the same mutual, ultimately mutual benefit that we talked about before, Got it. big and small. Got it. Doesn't have to be um, with a fashion brand like we were discussing. No, no. So how, how would a small brand achieve these collaborations? I presume the small brand would approach the big brand. Because um, I'm guessing that these big flower companies now I don't do any baking, so I can't yeah. I can't regurgitate the <laughs> yeah, names. Exactly. But I'm I, I'd be pretty sure they won't know Mr. and Mrs. Smith's Bakery 
in well, the, the, Basildon, for example. That's that's almost certainly true. I think that there's a couple of ways. You'll have, um, if, if we'll stick with the baking analogy, you'll have a distributor um, who will have a connection sure. to, to that supply to, to that um, particular brand, flower brand. Um, you also might have the sort of positioning that they they want to align themselves to great product. Flower brands don't make bread. Mm. So someone has to use their product to make a great product. So if you if, if you make a great loaf of bread, it, in theory, you should have great flour. Yes. So um, Alison's flour might want to tell a story about these incredible loaves in this in, in this beautiful little village um, from this incredible baker that are using their flour to make 50 different types of great bread. Um, oh, and by the way, they got reviewed as top 20 uh, bakers in the air. You know, those sorts of things. Because brand... Big brands want to tell that story and want to inspire other people to buy into their products, whether it's business to business or, or to consumer fascinating. market level. So fascinating. Uh, I think that it absolutely works that way. People and collaborating with people is, is is another great way. The person usually is the person with the reach. Again, that's the bigger side of, of the brand. Their own personal brand is larger than that smaller brand that they might want to work with. But hey, you, you, you might make a product that they're super passionate about. You might just have to supply them with some some product and that's where influencers and that kind of thing come in but if if a relationship with a long-term influencer that can easily become a collaboration yes it's, it's an organic growth it's not zero to 100 and what's your view on influencer marketing at the moment <laughs> that's a great yeah, yeah i mean i don't we don't have enough time i i i hate it mainly mm. um i respect when a brand works with a person mm -hmm. who has real depth. Yes. So anyone who calls themselves an influencer is at risk of not having that depth. Yes. I think, so when I was at GoPro, especially um, using people who have great reach um, and working with people who have great reach was a big part of the role. But there's but there's two sides to great reach, isn't there? Because there's the um, the ex reality show yep. who will have an active lifestyle for GoPro one day and then a fry up the next day for for whatever bacon company. Yeah, hundred um, percent. On the flip side, there's great reach through perhaps a slightly smaller audience. That's exactly uh, but right. their life is focused on GoPro. And you know what? They were advertising your products before you approached them and they will do afterwards. A hundred percent. That's exactly my thoughts. I think that when I say great reach, that can be numbers, mm. but that can be relevancy of audience yes. as well. Um, the higher you go, the less relevant the audience is likely to be. Um, and so, and I've, I've always kind of used this thing. If, so, if an agency can come up with some sort of algorithm that measures that a hundred likes of a, a a post on someone who's got a thousand followers and ten thousand likes on a post of someone who's got a million what are those likes really worth mm. because the ten thousand likes i would imagine per like are worth far less yes because the chances are the person with a thousand followers is doing something much more specific mm. much more nuanced or niche and that is the reason that you follow them definitely it's not out of uh, fascination for a reality star of what they're going to do next um, and you know it's just kind of reality TV fascination it's yes. not that with these smaller guys it's oh they're doing something that directly appeals to one of my passions so uh, uh, GoPro working with athletes who were great athletes who had a personality that reflected the brand so we didn't go after great boring athletes sure. we went after athletes who had a personality as well um, working with them made it much more authentic than working with someone who would call themselves, say, a traveler influencer who had insane reach, but to your point, was work every post is an ad. 
Yes. You know? And and that that's going to disappear. I'm absolutely. And you might as well pay for an ad. Yeah, and, and I think yeah. some people love just the numbers on a PowerPoint slide. Sure. So a lot of businesses just great PowerPoint slides. Yes. <laughs> you just go into a meeting. If I've got a great slide, perfect. <laughs> out. And. The thing about influencer marketing is it can get you some great numbers on a great PowerPoint slide. Mm. I'm not sure that people, I'm not sure that everyone looks beyond those numbers at what those numbers actually mean. Which is a real shame. Yeah, and and, and I think that will change. And I think people will become more nuanced about how they work with yes. influencers. I think influencers is probably a poor word because you could, you could argue an athlete is an influencer. Mm. But the word athlete and the word influencer, for me, there's so much more authenticity in the word athlete. Yes. And yet, sat in many meetings, you'll have the, the kind of bucket phrase influencer and then athletes, artists, photographers, um, you know, sports people thrown into that bucket. And it's probably unfortunate for those that they get still categorized as an influencer. Yes. No, it's, it's not the nicest word, is it? No, no, no because I, I think that it, it suggests influencer now suggests a transaction. Mm. It doesn't necessarily suggest a, a money transaction. It suggests a transaction of attention, a transaction of um, emotion, but only for a very short ephemeral period. Yes. And the smaller, the micro, if you like, influencers who have 30,000 to, say, 100,000 followers, I think that they're speaking more directly to their audience who connects to them in a way um, that is more relevant to the audience because they do a thing that has got them that number of followers, which I certainly don't have. They've got them that number of followers, usually because they're really good at something. Yes, fantastic. This is fascinating. We're going to dive into rapid fire questions. Please. So the first one, what's the best ad campaign you've been involved in? Great question. Um, I think there's probably two. Um, and I'll, I'll scoot them in really quickly. Sure. Uh, Forza Motorsport is a video game franchise like Gran Turismo. I know. Um, I've, I've, you know got, I've got a couple of copies of it. Great. So I was a product marketing manager for Forza Motorsport 4, if you can remember that far back. And um, that was a very big uh, a release for Microsoft. It, those sorts of games drive console sales. Yes. So it, it's an important uh, uh, sale in that sense as well. And I was a product marketing manager for that. Uh, in the UK for for Xbox, and we did so much to drive that. We partnered with Top Gear. We did uh, press um, visits to the track and had rides with the Stig. We had uh, Kanye West track the first track of Kanye, sorry the first ad and Kanye West track had ever been used on on TV. Fantastic. We had that on television with these incredible. Um, uh, incredible renders of cars. Um, we built a supercar in um, in the Westfield Centre, and people could vote on what to put in it, and then they could win the car. There was all these things, and and that was a great campaign for all of these massive things. It felt like we were doing and really making an impact on the video game culture at that sure. time. So that was great. And then on a slightly more specific level, um, we partnered when I was at um, Converse with a, a myriad of different brands. Um, but we did a collaboration with Maison Margiela, yes, yeah. um, who are a huge fashion brand. We did a collaboration with Hudson Bay Company, which is a very specific company out yep. of Canada. Um, and for Hudson Bay, we took over a Selfridges window and did a very brave thing, which was just completely minimal, just the sneaker on the oars of a canoe. Wow. Because right? it's very Canadian. And we just had the sneakers on that white background, nothing. And we actually got a lot of coverage because usually Selfridges windows are so um, 
so detailed. Yes, yeah. Um, they're, they're, they're very usually quite bright and sometimes brash and you need to get attention and this was just pure white an incredible Canadian wooden canoe and these sneakers just on the oars and like to my kind of brand snob minimalist type mentality like just looking at that was great and we got some really good coverage wow do you know once um, going off on a complete tangent um, I've actually been in the Selfridges window display You've been in it. In it, yes. Wow, how long were you so, stood there? Oh no, not long at <laughs> all. Um, they um, they tested an experience where you actually um, I, I can't remember what it was called. I think it was Fragrance Lab. So my missus uh, took um, our daughter to see One Direction. Okay. And I had three hours to burn. Right. And I saw this experience that you could do. Um, you go in and you know you you put in your details and it comes up with a fragrance for you, but you walk through an experience. And what I didn't realise until afterwards, it's the first time the public have ever been part of a Selfridges window display. No way. So there we go. I was a little bit worried you're going to be a mannequin there, stuff. <laughs> no, me. no. Could you could you imagine it? <laughs> um, so ne- next question: um, What's the book that you've recommended to the most people? Um, great question. Well. I'd- I tell you, there's a book I'm very excited about that has just come out in the US and is coming out in the UK uh, middle of this month. So we're in July. Um, is called "This Is Not a T-shirt." Okay. By a guy called Bobby Hundreds, who owns the brand The Hundreds. Yep. And that is his story of how he built a brand from scratch to become a massive player in in streetwear and skate. Yeah. Um, they are a very popular brand. He's a very very smart guy. He has a degree in law. Decided to turned down his 120k a year job out of, straight out of uni to, to go for no money and start a t-shirt brand and I've he, he's kept a blog for years and years so it's going to be an amalgamation of these things fantastic and I think for anyone who wants to start a business or, or more importantly perhaps start a brand looking to people like that even if it's not in the industry um, that can inspire you um, based on their successes and their mm. energy, I think is really important. I mean, there's so much inspiration that you can take outside of your own industry. And oh, even you know, um, today's episode, we've been mostly focused on product, but actually a lot of this stuff can be applied to service. Oh, yeah, 100%. I, I think absolutely branding for service is is just as important. If you think of the biggest brands in the world now, mm. they're nearly all service-based. True. Um, so whether it's be Google, Instagram, all these kind of Microsoft, in fact, is, is principally a service-based company. They make a bit harder, it's, but that that for sure. So, um, yeah, it definitely applies. So to another, another well. branding-based question. What is your favourite brand, full stop? Mm-hmm. Um, either Patagonia, which is a really kind of, common answer nowadays but I, I love that company still privately owned yep a uh, great book that i have recommended to a lot of people is let my people go surfing sure by yvonne Schuenard, who founded the company okay. still owns the company is 80 something now wow. spends most of his time fly fishing um his principles on ecology and the environment completely uh miles and miles ahead of sure. anyone else this is God, I, I forget when they were founded, but it's decades they've been doing this. And they are an incredible company who make incredible product. And they're completely authentic. They, what they say they do, they do. Fantastic. And Levi's, um, kind of for the same reason. Talk about staying power. Yes, heritage brand. Yeah, absolutely. But still His, relevant. History, heritage, and still relevant. Been going way longer than any of the other brands that we wear. Mm. For nearly all of them. But unbelievably, you know, cert- certainly two or three years ago, you couldn't go to a city in Europe without seeing one in two people having a Levi's T-shirt. Yeah, that that, that particular Levi's logo, the Batwing T-shirt, 
very, very popular for a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but just walking down the street, being, just look for Levi's jeans on people. It's it's every other person. Yes. It's incredible that this brand founded in 1880-something, I think 1880-something, 1870-something, is still relevant now. Um, and maybe more relevant than ever, they're embracing a lot more tech. Mm. But quality never goes out of style, is what they say. Yes. And that's absolutely true. I think they are a fantastic brand as Brilliant. well. Yeah. So if you were to set up a mastermind group with three other people, who would you have in it? Like a brain trust type? Yes. Okay. Uh, deep cuts now. Uh, Hiroshi Fujiwara who is the owner of a company called Fragment, who collaborates with a lot of different yep. brands, Nike included. Um, I guess some people will, have, some people listening will know him and, and, and probably a lot won't, and he's obviously Japanese. Um, one of the first people to really embrace um, streetwear fashion mm. in Japan, um, but hugely influentially collaborates with, like I say, Nike, with Starbucks, with Moncler, the, the um, French um, down, uh, Coke company, um, and he's a huge influence. He's the influencer for these influencers. Yes, um, and he's he's a very important person. Um, I think on top of that, someone with the clarity of thought like Ivan Shirinard brought to Patagonia w- would be great. So so you know having him and Hiroshi Fujiwara sat around a table would be would be astonishing. Um, and I'm trying to think of someone that that isn't necessarily in fashion or clothes. Um, you know, it's, it's a lot of people would say someone like uh, a Steve Jobs type character is such a, such an obvious one, um, but maybe not say Steve Jobs as much as someone who knew what they wanted to do, stuck with it, stuck with it so much through thick and thin, total stubbornness to achieve a goal, and people like Steve Jobs have stuck to that, and all the successful brands that you can look at today, Phil Knight yep. uh, um, at, at Nike would be a perfect example of, of those sorts of people. There's a great, actually, just to bring it a little bit more relevant, so I'm not just talking about fashion brands, Cubits is a really interesting uh, glasses brand yes, based yep. out of London. They now have some stores, and and Tom, who owns Cubits, he's I think he's about my age, um, built an affordable eyewear brand based around style mm. and not just fob offs from Vision Express. Sure. Um sorry for anyone who goes to Vision Express. But he's he's built a great brand. Um he's built it around aesthetic and style, but it's affordable and accessible. And I think that's a really important part of of a, making a brand a brand can be stylish and still accessible. Yes. Uh, it doesn't have to be outside the realms of what you can afford. So I think he sells glasses for about 120 quid all in. Sure. Um, but they're beautifully made and he's built a really really great success story for himself. So he would be someone who would have great insight in building a brand. Fantastic. So the next question, we talked about affordable. What is the thing that you bought over the last six months for about 50 to 100 pounds, which have the most impact on your life? 50 to 100 pounds, most impact. I'm hoping it's going to be this book I bought. <laughs> though, it wasn't, <laughs> though it wasn't 50 pounds, it was cheaper than that. It can, it can be cheaper, it can yeah, be cheaper. No, but... I, I, think, I think that, um, I think um, maybe uh, the paint, which I painted my baby's uh, nursery in. Fantastic. Um, Is I, it blue or pink or you're not sharing? It's No, so it's a, it's a baby boy, or it will be a baby boy when it's born. And um, I painted it Toy Story Clouds 
Fantastic. Um, the room. So I got the Pantone match. I went into these sorts of details. The Pantone match blue for the walls. And um, you had to get this particular paint from America, blah, blah, blah. Painted it, did the stencils of the clouds. And uh, it's one of those things where I've never painted a room before. Sure. Now, right? Never painted. I'm 33. It's ridiculous. Um, but uh, did all the YouTube tutorials on how to do it. Did it. Just just went and straight in and, and, and in the deep end with this with this paint that I'd got imported and finished it and I was super, super happy with the result. Amazing. So that might be an investment that pays off a little bit further down the line when the kid's seen Toy Story and is stoked that his room is Andy's room. So <laughs> yeah, good, maybe that'll good, pay good, off. Good luck with that one. <laughs> Thank you. And the final one, what bit of advice would you go back and give your 18-year-old self? It's, um, it's a good question. I think, I think in, in 12 months... I could look back and tell that eighteen-year-old self that maybe I could, I should have started my own direction sooner. Sure. Um, I made a misstep going to Samsung, which I learned a lot from. Sure. And I wouldn't necessarily tell myself not to do that, but what I would tell myself to do is, if you're ever in any doubt on the brand that you're going to go work for, put the money to one side, ignore what is on the contract. Ignore who you've interviewed with because half the time you don't work with them, yep. even if they impress you very much. And just go, is this a brand that I completely 100% believe in? Sure. And I would tell my 18-year-old self just to use that as the only measurement of whether you take a job. The importance of brand. Yeah, because I worked for GoPro for three years and I had to commute two hours door-to-door for that role out of the South Downs where I live mm. into London and uh, two hours each way. And I never struggled to get out of bed in the yeah. morning for that brand. So even the commute that puts a lot of people off, if you work for the right brand, you'll still get out of bed at 5.45 like I had to, to get to work. Um, so if, if you work for a brand you love, you'll, you'll, get up a bed, you'll get out of bed in the morning. Fantastic. Alex, it's been great. Where can the listeners learn more about you? Uh, great question. So um, I am <laughs> building my website at the moment for my consultancy, which is called Another Brand Consultancy playing on the fact that there's a million of them out there. Um, but uh, like to think we're doing things a little bit differently and helping medium to smaller businesses rather than going right in at the deep end with, with big brands. I think they probably don't need the same amount of help. So anotherbrandconsultancy.com or just find me on LinkedIn. Uh, my name's Alex Hall and I work for now Another Brand Consultancy. Fantastic. Alex, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Thank you very much. Thanks very much, Carl. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to The Carl Reader Show. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and tell your friends. This podcast was brought to you by our sponsor, D&T Advisory, helping you unlock the magic in your business by adding value, not numbers. Find out more at www.team-dt.com. QuickBooks, helping UK small businesses stay on top of their finances.